come to uh, church on Sunday morning, you're going to have a test here. Man, I hope you get this right. <laughs> I ask you the question, what did Jesus teach in the Gospels? Anybody? What? Say it. The law. He taught the law. Jesus knew the law and he taught the law. If, it, if you're young in your faith and in the word, Jesus was a Jew uh, and they were given the law and he knew the law and he obeyed the law. So knowing that Jesus taught the law and that he obeyed the law, how many times did Jesus die on the cross? Once. What did his blood do? What? Oh. <laughs> You're a dork. <laughs> He said he propitiated. He, his blood forgave all of our sins. What? All of our sins, which is what? Past, present, and future. Jesus died. Yes, thank you. He died one time. His blood was poured out. And it forgave all sin for all time. The only sin that it didn't forgive was the sin of unbelief. You just have to believe. Believe that Jesus is the Savior, that He's the Messiah. That's a big deal. Belief. You're going to find that this morning as we go through Galatians. Somebody was asking, why do they always talk about uh, grace and law at Levener? Why, when do they move on to the next subject? I would if the Bible would. But the Bible keeps teaching it. Paul keeps teaching it throughout his letters and we're just literally working our way through the Scripture here. And so it's not like it's my choice of subject. I'm just reading God's Word. But, okay, so why is it so prominent? Because we're still dealing with it in the church today. The, the church today still mixes grace and law. Not, I'm, I'm not here, I hope not here, but in many, many churches, yes, we're saved by grace, but you still have to obey the law. Not buying that. Not based upon what we read here this morning. So we pick up in Galatians chapter 3. We left off. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, for I have been crucified with Christ. Paul has expressed in this letter to the church at Galatia, all these different churches in southern Galatia, I have been crucified with Christ. I died with Christ. Yes, Christ died around 30, 31 A.D., Paul came later, you came later, but it says, I died. What died? There's something in me that died when I believed in Jesus Christ. And I believe that that, based upon what I read in the Scripture, is my old self. 
my sinful nature. It died. No longer have that. 2 Corinthians 5.17 made me a new creation. You got that? Here's what it says in verse 1 of Galatians chapter 3. He's about to go on a series, he's about to go into a series of arguments here, and he does it so passionately because what, what has happened if you haven't been here with us? He taught freedom, he taught grace, he taught identity, and these Judaizers came behind and said, No, no, you have to obey the law, you have to do this and this and this and this. And he's upset. He's upset. And so he's now going to make a series of arguments. And the first argument that Paul's going to make is basically a personal argument. This is where he's coming from. He says, you foolish Galatians, who has cast a spell on you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? This would be like us asking our country, have you gone mad? <laughs> I'm afraid to ask that right now. Have you gone mad? Is this, is this a mental incompetence or just a lack of wisdom? Have you really thought about what has occurred here? Foolish, actually in this tense right here when he says, are you acting foolish? He's saying, are you spiritually dull? If you go back to the Gospels and Jesus would actually call the Pharisees fools, he was talking about them being godless people. That's not the same effect that Paul is saying here when he calls them fools. He's saying, you're acting foolish. You spiritually were alive and awake, but now all of a sudden, you just quit thinking. You quit processing. But I focus on the question there. It says, uh, who's cast a spell on you? Who has hypnotized you? I go back to Genesis chapter 3, 11, when Adam and Eve were in the garden and they ate of the fruit. They sinned. And all of a sudden they saw that they were naked. And God asked them a simple question. Who told you that you were naked? Who, who is it that told you that you were naked? And in the same sense, Paul's asking them, who hypnotized you? Who cast this spell on you? Well, what's the answer? The answer in both cases is the evil one. The evil one has done this. Now, you may say, oh, this is the Judaizers that came in and they did it with good intent. You know, they love the Lord and everything else. But really, the evil one will use your family, your friends, your church to deceive you. And you have to know the truth. That's the scheme of the evil one is to confuse people. To confuse them. To Let's water down what happens, what's said on Sunday morning. Let's just confuse the people where it sounds good, sounds appropriate, it's coming from the Bible, but it's out of context. But let's just confuse them and cause them not to understand the freedom that they live in. Paul did not say that the Galatians had less than a fully genuine experience of the Holy Spirit. Indeed, 
I think he, uh, he argued exactly the opposite. Since they had certainly received the Holy Spirit and witnessed his mighty works right there in front of them, why were they now re- taking backward step? Why, why all of a sudden were you going to like change what you believe? You had the Spirit, you're walking in the Spirit, and now you're going to go back to working in the flesh. Verse 2, it says this, I only want to learn this from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? <laughs> did, did you earn this? Did you work to get your salvation? Or did you simply get it because you believed? Did we not teach you as Jews you are no longer subject to circumcision, that you're no longer subject to the food restrictions, the calendar observances? Didn't we teach you all that? As a Gentile, you you never were. And now, even as a Jew, we don't even have those restrictions. So what saved you? Was it your faith? Was it your belief? Or was it your works? Verse 3, it says, Are you so foolish, after beginning by the Spirit, are you now finishing by the flesh? That is a big deal. That's a big deal, because you see the battle right there. He used two key words, one being the Spirit, one being the flesh. Look, I have both. I have both. I don't have a sinful nature. I just said that died when I was crucified with Christ. I still sin, but that's typically because I'm acting out of my flesh. Sometimes I will make choices that are bad choices that are not by the power of the Spirit that lives in me, but, my, but by my own power. Sometimes those are good things. You, you, you've got to hear this. You've got to figure this out. I can do good things all the time. Like, uh, like going to church every Sunday. You know, uh, when I was a kid, you used to get a star every Sunday that you got, and you could see your, how many stars you get, right? You remember that? You got your stars... That was all about getting stars. That was all about my flesh. That was me doing it in my own strength. It was a good thing. It was me doing it by my flesh. Whereas now, it's just like Micah said, it it is absolute joy to get up on a Sunday morning and walk in this room and just be here. To just be here among you because that's the Spirit leading. If I'm up here teaching today and it's in rusty strength, oh, you, you guys are in trouble. But if I come up here and literally this morning I was like, Lord, you, you've got to do this today. This is not about me. This is about you teaching your people through your word. There's a difference between walking in the Spirit and walking in the flesh. Walking, allowing the Spirit to do things in your life 
versus the flesh. And this is literally what Paul's saying to the Galatians. is like, you once walked by the flesh, then you had the ability to walk by the Spirit, and now you want to go back to the flesh? Really? Said... Uh, verse 5. So then, does God give you the Spirit and work miracles among you by your doing the works of the law? Or is it by believing what you heard? This is what happened. This is what the Spirit does. People all the time want to know, well, what about the Spirit inside of you? Well, if you go to John sixteen eight, it says that the Spirit does three things. The one I want to focus on is what it does for the non-believer. The non-believer, it says, the Spirit comes to convict them of their unbelief. The Spirit comes to convict them of their unbelief. Who's, who's those that are He's convicting? It's non-believers. He's convicting them of their sin of unbelief. For you, the believer, He says, He comes to convict of righteousness. In other words, this. The Spirit doesn't sit here and condemn you for your sin because why? Your sin's already been dealt with. We talked about that at the very beginning. He died one time. He died for all sin. So now the Spirit has come and He's convicting you that you are holy, that you are righteous, that you are redeemed, that you are forgiven, that you're a child of God, that you're an heir to the throne. You're all these things and more that the Bible says. That's what the Spirit convicts you of. But you go back to Acts, Acts 7.51, and Jesus says this to them. He says, you stiff-necked people, you uncircumcised hearts and ears, you're always resisting the Holy Spirit as your ancestors did. You do also. He's literally saying to the Pharisees here, look, you had the opportunity because the Spirit came to convict, but you've chose not to believe. And then for those who have believed, Ephesians 1, 13 says this, In Him you also were sealed with a promised Holy Spirit. The promised Holy Spirit. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed, you were sealed. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of His glory. So then, does God give the Spirit and work miracles among you by doing the works of the law, or is it by believing what you heard? Is it going to be the Pharisees' way, or is it going to be the believer's way? So now Paul's made this argument very personal. So now he switches and he makes a second argument. Okay, if you're not going to buy what I'm saying to you personally, let me take the Old Testament Scripture and show you exactly what's occurred here. Verse 6, it says this, Just like Abraham, who believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness? It's a question. Go back to Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. What? 6 watch this. He's literally quoting Genesis chapter 15, verse 6 right here. He says, Abraham believed the Lord and accredited it to him as righteousness. Paul's saying, this is it. I got, I, got to, I got to show this to you real quick. 
Genesis 15.6 says, what Abraham do? He believed. That was it. It was credited to him righteousness. Credited, basically meaning in the future you're going to receive this righteousness. When would he receive that righteousness? When Christ died on the cross. And he was buried and he rose again. This is when Abraham would become righteous. Until that point, it was only credited to him. That's like a credit card. You want to know what you have, right? You have a gift card. It's been paid for. It's an unlimited gift card. It's unlimited. You have a gift card. Year after the cross, you have been made righteous already. And all you had to do was believe. Believe. To prove it, to prove it, watch this. Genesis chapter 17. Look, that says Genesis 15. Then you go two chapters later. It says this, God also said to Abraham, as for you and your offspring after you throughout their generations are to keep my covenant. This is my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you, which you are to keep. Every one of your males must be circumcised. You must circumcise the flesh of your foreskin to serve as a sign of the covenant between me and you. Throughout your generations, every male among you is to be circumcised at eight days old. Every male born in your household or purchased from any foreigner and not your offspring. Genesis 15 says Abraham believed and he was credited righteousness. Two chapters later, he says, I'm going to make a promise to you, Abraham. And so therefore, this promise is going to be sealed with the act of circumcision. It came after he believed. It wasn't, and what the Jews are saying, for you to have salvation, you must be circumcised. No, that can't be true because he believed before the circumcision came along. That's Genesis. What's the next book? Exodus. Exodus chapter 20. Anybody know what's in Exodus chapter 20? The Ten Commandments. What's the Ten Commandments? It's the law. Oh, Exodus 20 came after Genesis 15, after Genesis 17. The law came after that. He believed in Genesis 15 and he was credited righteousness before the law even came along. How could he be expected to get salvation by obeying the law if it wasn't even around? Paul is sitting here making a point to these people. It's like, if you think it's based upon works, what these Judaizers are teaching you, you're messed up. Look, I'll go back to the Old Testament and show you. Verse 70 says, You know then that those who have faith, these are Abraham's sons. Now the Scripture saw in advance that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and proclaim the gospel ahead of the time to Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed through you. That's Genesis 18.18. It says, Abraham is to become a great and powerful nation, and all the nations of the earth will will be blessed through him. In Genesis, it basically says the Gentiles will have the ability to have faith and salvation. 
And it's all going to be children of Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons. And many sons had Father Abraham. No, okay, that's good. This is what we mean led by the Spirit in teaching. So now... It's been foretold even in Genesis. It's been foretold that the Gentiles will have the opportunity to have salvation. Verse 9, it says, Consequently, those who have faith are blessed with Abraham who had faith. The logic here is evident. If God promised to save the Gentiles by faith, then the Judaizers aren't wrong in wanting the Gentiles to go back to the law. It wasn't even their law in the first place. The true children of Abraham are not the Jews by physical descent, but Jews and Gentiles who have believed in Jesus Christ. It's all about belief. All those who are of faith, believers, are blessed with believing Abraham. (laughs) It's like, what if we... uh, Instead of donuts, we just decided to serve carrots on a Sunday morning. You would eat them because that, that's all we had. And then after a point, we decided to serve donuts. You love donuts. It's evident. But wait, now we're going to decide to go back to carrots. Really? Really? You prefer carrots over donuts? You've had them both? You've experienced them both? And you want to go back to carrots, really? I mean, I I realize that they have a benefit. This is really what he's saying right here. He's trying to make a point. Are Are you foolish? Are you nuts? Who hypnotized you? Verse 10, it says this. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse because it is written. Everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law is cursed. Paul uses contrast here. Crucified with Christ and alive to God. The hearing of faith and the doing of works. Beginning in the Spirit and ending in the flesh. He's really trying to show them the difference here. A promise and fulfillment. Blessed and cursed. If you go to Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 26, it says this, Anyone who does not put the words of this law into practice is cursed. This is the Old Testament. This is the Old Covenant. This is God saying, you have to do the law. And all the people will say, Amen. Deuteronomy 28.58 says, if you are not careful to obey all the words of this law, which are written in this scroll, by fearing this glorious and awe-inspiring name, the Lord of your God. And James 2.10 says, For whoever keeps the entire law and yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking it all. 
the law, the Ten Commandments, Leviticus, that book that you love to read. It's got 613 laws for Levitical priests. The law. You have to obey every bit of it. If you break one law, you're a sinner. He took, look, it it all came about in Exodus, Leviticus. They went on through, even even Jesus, you you said he came and taught the law. If you go to Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, it's the Sermon on the Mount. And he took the law and he made it even bigger. If you hear it said, go one mile, I say go two. He just ramped it up. If you say, if you hear it said, give them the shirt off their back, I say give them your cloak too. Give them your coat too. He took the law and he made it so big in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And today the church says, hey, those are red letters. You need to do what Jesus said. You with me? You need to do what Jesus... He took the law and made it so big that you couldn't do it. And if you break one law, you're in trouble. Based upon what the Scripture says, you're in trouble. You all are in trouble. Until Jesus came and said, look, I've fulfilled the law completely. I'll die for you. I'll take all your sin, all your punishment. I'll take it all. I I got you. Forgiveness dies, raises again, sits at the throne, and then sits a spirit to live inside of you. There's a spirit living inside of you. And he says, hey, I'll help you. I'll help you live your life. In fact, I'll do it for you if you let me. If you let me. Verse 11 says, Now it's clear that no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. He took one more verse out of the Old Testament. Habakkuk 2.4, the prophet, says, you can't live by the law, so you have to live by faith. You have to live by faith. It's uh, Look, I've took the Old Testament and I've proven it to you. It doesn't say those who live by faith are righteous. It says the righteous will live by faith. Then you're taught, okay, this is a commandment. This is a commandment. If you're righteous, which you're a believer, then you live by faith. No, this is just a statement of fact. This is the way it is. This is the byproduct of being righteous is that you live by faith. It's not a command. If these are the words by Habakkuk, they were still under the law because that's Old Testament. But Habakkuk was a prophet, and this was about the future. (laughs) I wonder today if Daniel, who lived in the Old Testament, was a prophet. There's really no mention of sin about Daniel in the Bible. If he were here today in this room, would he know that you're righteous? 
Hmm. Will he know that you're righteous? Because what he considered righteous were those people that obeyed the law. Could he literally hang out here for 30 minutes and figure out that this room is righteous? Based upon the testimony this morning, he can. Because there's a spirit in here and he would sense that same spirit. Verse 12, it says this, But the law is not based on faith. Instead, the one who does these things will live by them. That's Leviticus 18.5. Keep my statutes and ordinances. A person will live if he does them. I am the Lord. You see, the whole law is based upon doing. Not trusting. It, I'm, I'm being flat out honest with you. I was taught grace, but to live under the law. In other words, I was taught to do things. I was taught how to do church. How to do church. I went to seminary. I was taught how to do church. And when I say do church, I mean the institutional church. I wasn't given much opportunity to trust. Because they showed me how to do everything. If this doesn't work, then do this. If this doesn't work, then do this. There was always a, a way of doing church. And then you get to a point where, what did I learn and what did I receive? If I can unpack all that, if I can unpack all that, and just come hang out here <laughs> at Pinheads and, okay, Lord, I'm just going to trust you. In fact, I'm going to try to shed all that stuff. All I want to do is teach. I don't want any meetings. I don't want any committees. I don't want to publicize. I don't want to market. I don't want to beg people to come. I don't want to bring a friend Sunday. Can we just teach the Word of God? Can we just teach the Word of God and live in community? Can we do that? Lord, I'm going to trust that you do that. And I'm telling you, the first couple of years was really rough. And that trusting thing uh, helped us get here today to teach trusting over doing. I, I'm not going back to Carrots. promise you the donuts are too good grace is too good the law will kill you God never intended the law to make people righteous it never did not once he intended to send his son as savior and to Keep us from our own works. Verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Because it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. 
the purpose was that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles by Christ Jesus so that he would receive the promised spirit through faith. I take you to Deuteronomy chapter 21, which is where Paul's quoting this. It's the last of six quotations that he referred to in his argument here. He says, if anyone is found guilty of an offense deserving the death penalty and is executed, and you hang his body on a tree. They were actually stoned to death first, and then they took the body and they hung it on the tree as an example. It says, you are not to leave his corpse on the tree overnight, but to bury him that day, for anyone hung on a tree is under God's curse. You must not defile the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. They weren't talking about crucifixion there, but this was a foreshadowing of what Jesus did for us. The word redeem there means to purchase as a slave with the intent of being able to set them free. It's possible, it's possible to purchase a slave and keep him as a slave, but that's not what Christ did. Think about that. If Christ purchased you and wanted you to keep the law, you'd never be free. He purchased you, He redeemed you so that you would be free. By the shedding of His blood, He purchased us that we might be set free. And here the whole time, the Judaizers, they're wanting to to lead them back into slavery. Salvation here is being set free from the bondage of sin and law into the liberty of God's grace. When are you going to quit talking about law and grace? Man, I don't think I'll ever quit talking about law and grace. Because if there's one thing that I know is that Jesus Christ came and died and made a provision for us. A forgiveness of sin. So that we would be set free. And I've watched too many friends come to salvation and put back into bondage. To this very day. I look, I'd be glad to talk evangelism, salvation, everything else, but my heart is to see men and women set free from the bondage of religion. Religion can is seen as a good thing, but it's definitely a bondage. Basically, he said to the Jew, do you want the blessing of Abraham? It comes through Jesus. And then he said to the Gentiles, do you want to be included in the blessing? It comes through Jesus. There's anything that you're going to hear right here. It's the same thing John Getchell talked about all of his life. Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's not about the law. It's not about doing. 
It's simply trusting Jesus. Give your love to Jesus. Father, I trust. Man, I say that so easily, but I know it's so difficult even in this room that we just trust you in the midst of all the stuff that's going on, the chaos that's going on, that everybody's difficulties. Can you just give us more trust? I know your faith comes from you. Please allow us to do that. Allow us to experience you this week. May we live in the grace and the freedom that your ultimate sacrifice was for. Father, I trust you and I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.